0: Welcome back to Behind the Lens for yet another fun-filled week. And if you thought last week was full of laughter, um, I, think, I think we've got a hot contender this week because I have three very special in-studio guests. My name is Debbie Lynn Elias, film critic, creator, and host of Behind the Lens. You can find my reviews and interviews at 150 publications on print and online around the world. But every Monday you can find me right here on Adrenaline Radio, 11 a.m., 2 p.m. Pacific, Uh, 2 p.m. Eastern, and then we're on iTunes on Tuesday, and video is up on YouTube and other places later in the week. But let me introduce my very special guest today, some guy named J.T. Alexander, who some people call him J.T. Anderson, (laughs) and of course, we do have a bone to pick with a director of an earlier film of J.T.'s last year, Marcus Mazzelli, was here uh, and talked about the film, and Marcus, you're in big trouble because you did not invite JT. I'm going to get you, buddy. Yeah. Then, of course, we have the fabulous Mojan Aria.
1: Thank you. Say hello. Hello.
0: Hello. Hello. (laughs) And then writer, director, producer, editor.
2: That's right. Dustin,
0: or Dylan, (laughs) as some people call him, (laughs) Kahia. Welcome, guys. Thanks for having for having us. This is so much fun. Of course, I hope you didn't get all the laughs out before we went on the air, because that would be really disappointing.
3: No, that would be disappointing. <laughs> no, I got more.
0: I got <laughs> Especially more. JT. Yeah. Especially JT. And of course, we're here to talk about your film, among other things. Um, your new film, which is called...
2: Call of the Void.
0: And it is world pre- world premiere.
2: Yep, Newport Beach Film Festival. We're premiering on uh, this Sunday. Sunday, April twenty fourth at two thirty in the afternoon. I just—we're almost sold out. We have about, I think, thirteen tickets left available, and then we're sold out.
0: Well, now let me ask you: With Newport, since you have been at Newport before, Mm -hmm. you've had a film at Newport before. Have you had a film at Newport before? I did. Okay. (laughs) So you—you've all been—that's right. You had the uh, the Bronx Bowl Bowl there. So now, when Newport sells out, if it's that popular, will they add another screening?
2: Yes, they will. And they usually do it right when it gets very close to being sold out. Practically almost when it is sold out, they open up a second screening. So, um,
0: Fingers crossed that could be mm-hmm. any moment.
2: Yes, we're hoping.
0: So, Maybe by the time we get off the air, everybody listening will make a mad dash.
2: Yeah, I'll tell you, right now there's only 13 tickets for that Sunday screening. So,
0: Wow. Yeah. Now, do you like that it, with a film festival? Um were you only They only set one screening. I know L.A. Film Festival used to do everything, two of everything. Mm-hmm. They've cut back over the years as well. And I know a lot of people, festival goers, always loved the fact there was an alternate screening so it would open things up and make it freer. As a filmmaker, do you like the idea of one screening to get the, the big buzz going? Or would you prefer to have multiple screenings so people can leisurely...
2: It's interesting, I mean you bring up a good point you know in one sense yeah it's it's limited, it makes people want to run to that screening, you know, um, in another sense, not everybody can always make that one screening um, and so giving people more options you know as, as to when they can go i, I has a I think it has its pros and cons, um, but I mean, if I had to pick between the two, I think I like the idea of having one screening that sells out and then opening an, another screening
0: mm-hmm. now. To give all of our listeners and eventually our viewers who will be able to look at these lovely faces to their heart's content. You know, your camera, you've got two of them two on I'm you, right okay? okay. You've got two of them on you, Mojan. I'm, okay.
1: not, I'm not used to double camera for <laughs> <laughs> speech films, but I'm, I'm going to make this work. You yeah.
2: should be used to it because Call the Void. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: never noticed what we shot at that. <laughs> uh-uh.
0: Well, that's because of all the negative space that was being used and, right. and the lighting, so it was dark.
1: I just know that we didn't have that many takes, and Dustin's like, "Just, just make this one work." I told you know?
2: them on set. Actually, I don't know if you guys remember this, but I remember it was on day three when we had to crank out twenty-one pages in a day, which is crazy because you know most independent features would shoot at a fairly fast pace, shoot between the six to seven page range. You know, to shoot twenty-one pages in a day is insane. And I remember I said to them, "I said, hey guys, we're shooting on film, not digital. You don't have as many takes as you want to get." The performance right every time i yell action that's precious film rolling in the can and you have to just bring it bring your a-game and i thought they brought it
0: well i mean i've seen the film and it's phenomenal but i have to say from an actor's standpoint when somebody i mean that's soap opera speed 21 pages a day do you guys does 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 your heart stop and you go
3: what mine did (laughs) Uh, a couple weeks before we were shooting, um, I said, All right, well, how many days am I going to be on set? How, how are we going to crank this out? He goes, One day. I go, All of this dialogue is one day. That's like 21 pages, I think you said, yeah. right? And uh, th- I don't know how we did it, but we did it, and I, I, I'm proud of it. I, 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 it dropped. When I saw that, I was like, Oh my God, oh my God, oh my gosh, oh my God. How was this going to happen? But it worked. And then, you know. This guy being a pleasure to work with really helped out too. So I mean, how would you feel about? Working? Yeah,
0: because Mojan, you're in. I'd say what eighty five percent of the film. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting you
1: say soap opera speed because it's not. I mean, it is. We shot that way, but I had a good pre production chunk. So, you know, by the time I came on set, like Justin and I had a clear idea of what we were doing, and I already had the dialogue. There wasn't too many script changes. So even though it was a crazy amount of shooting a day and I would have preferred to do it another way, but it was also good that we had everything, it kind of forced me to be extra prepared, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm
3: -hmm.
0: Do you find that that is the key for you is the preparedness? Yeah, for
1: sure. I mean, everything comes out of (coughs) confidence and, you know, if you have any doubts, you can only work on them and make sure you put enough work into it that your doubts kind of dissipate and, you know
0: yeah so, so while I joke <laughs> Dustin which, you, can, you we, can help her which, you know what
1: I mean Dustin you're the closest one uh, Dustin, like, I'm, like, I'm coming do do? over do I, do I get the water <laughs> Dustin yeah. hold her head to something
0: <clears throat> I've been interviewing and moderating the past five days and with the weather and all it's like my voice the cough just goes the more yeah. I talk and since I always talk, you know, that's problematic. But, no, uh, <laughs> now you're going to make me laugh, which will be even worse. <laughs> yeah, tell everybody what the film is about. And especially for all the TCM listeners out there, um, which is a big contingent for us. Um, it, and the TCM Film Festival is next week, as a matter of oh, fact. Cool. So this is perfect to have your film here this week yeah. to talk about. Tell everybody what the film is about.
2: Well, I mean, right off the bat, it's it's a, it's a film noir, black and white, set in 1940s Los Angeles. And we actually shot it in Los Angeles. Um, you know, but not in the 1940s. Not in the 1940s. <laughs> Unfortunately, that was uh, – we'd have to build a time machine for that or called Mr. Doc Brown. Uh, but what we um, – the film itself at its core, very simply put, it's about a man who's lost the love of his life and is – hell-bent on regaining that love back. And ultimately, it's up to the viewer to determine whether his desire or his obsession is healthy, unhealthy. Uh, is it something that you would do as, a, as an audience member if you were in this person's shoes? So it's kind of – I leave it kind of open to interpretation for the audience.
0: <coughs> well, and with that ambiguity that you create, you also leave it open – for us to determine and wonder, is it live? Is it Memorex? Is this actually happening? Is he fantasizing this? Because he is talking to a therapist.
2: Yes. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like you had mentioned before when we were uh, talking earlier, you know, I, I, I made the intention to shoot uh, the therapist in pieces you know in fractions so as the story and the narrative unfolds you're getting bits and pieces of her you know you you first you get her shoes her hands her lips you know the back of her head but you're never getting the full piece of her until the very very end Mm -hmm. so
0: now when you guys get a script like this how what is your reaction when you see something that is unfolding in this fashion
1: well my initial instinct when i read the script was um I mean, I don't want to give away too much of the movie, but I had a friend uh, in, in, in uh, high school who had a terrible breakup, which kind of led him on a uh, psychological destruction. Mm-hmm. And um, for me, like as soon as I read the script, I kind of resonated with the idea of what people are capable of doing to themselves to protect themselves, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense. I mean... People, you know, there was a doc, there was a great documentary. I'm sure you saw it called "The Look of Silence." Made, you know, Joshua Oppenheimer, "The Act of Killing."
0: It's over here, as a matter of yeah. fact, or laying out here. Oh, it's right there. Lo- the look of silence. It's beautiful, and when when people have done terrible things,
1: they're able to create a world to protect themselves. Mm-hmm. And I always find that, you know, whether you've been bad to a girl and you've lost the love of your life, or whether you messed up a job and the, the illusion that you can create becomes very interesting to me because we can create our own realities to help mm. comfort ourselves.
0: No, And that's exactly what you do in this film. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it really is. It's an outstanding performance as Steve, but then another great performance. And it's a great contrast to see you in this role, JT, after seeing you in the comedy actor for hire last year. To, you know, described as a John Wayne doppelganger.
3: I've actually, I've never done a film like this before. And Dustin and I worked in the past. And he came to me with this opportunity to play this period piece, at the, play this cop role. And uh, I was basically drawn to him as a protector and protecting Veronica from this this hazard mm-hmm. of I don't, again, I don't want to give too much of the film away either, um, but I never played anything like that before. It was always uh, hardened Criminals, and like my film, that Tencent Pistol, that premiered last year at, at uh, uh, Newport, it was just a new character for me. And I was attracted to it, and I, I wanted to do it. I never looked like I did on screen, so I thought that was really cool. I've, <laughs> All the films I did I've always had stubble.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: So it was a new experience for me and I was I, I wanted to play it because I wanted to, you know, do a different range
0: mm-hmm. yeah, of,
3: of, of what I was used to.
0: Both of with, you with
3: comedy and other stuff.
0: Both of you totally chameleonic with in in your look on screen. Thank totally you. chameleonic Thanks. to the point of in your case, Monjean, Johnny Depp chameleonic. <laughs> So, and we all know how deep he goes into his characters. So it's a testament to you, Dustin, in casting these guys. You know, what made you pick them, of all people, that you could have gone with?
2: Yeah, I'll I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. (laughs) Yeah, JT wants to know. Yeah,
0: Yeah, JT wants to know.
2: You know, I actually, before we actually even started casting, um, I knew I wanted JT. I had, you know, sent him the script. I talked about it with him. And, uh, you know, we both felt that Tommy was going to be... Uh, the best fit for him to kind of explore that role but i i knew i wanted to work with him again from working with him on my first short film Mm. masterpieces and in that role it's funny he kind of did have he was like a sort of comedic relief in that film he does that so well he does he does it so naturally and that's why i I remember that out of all the actors i worked with on that short film i felt that jt was had the most talent, the most promise, uh, he was the most natural so and, and, and the thing was it's like I wish I would have casted him in the lead role of that film uh, instead of uh, who he had cast um, so <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, and, and let let yeah. us, let us stress we are not talking about we call of the void, no, Mojan, he did not want to recast Mojan with jt. <laughs> Let's just clarify that. Yeah, that's,
2: that's what I'm talking about. I'm right, talking about right, the yeah. short film. Yeah. Uh, not Call of the four. <laughs>
0: yeah. Let's, uh, let's uh, just let's clarify just that. that. The short film. I, <laughs> yeah. well, I hope
2: he's not
3: listening.
2: <laughs> I doubt it. Uh, yeah. uh, well, but,
0: quick. You got your phone over there. IMDB it quickly and see. You know.
2: <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, it's, it's because that he just did such a stand-up job. And I felt he brought he, – he was so real. In that small little role and I said, I want to work with this guy again and I wanted it to be the right role and I thought this was the right role. Mojan on the other hand, um, what's interesting about him is that we started casting. We casted for four weeks in LA. But this guy walks in on day one, second audition, second audition. And I remember when he did you know, his audition, everybody kind of had that lean forward moment. When we were pulled into the performance. And after he left the room, we were all just on the same page. We just thought this guy was awesome. And and even though we continued casting for four weeks, it wasn't because we didn't think that he wasn't great. It was that we had just started and we're like, this is day two, literally the second audition. Let's see. And I was like, if this is what's coming in on day one, second audition. What else is out there? But nobody came close. Mojan had set the bar so high in his audition that nobody came close to touching him. And so that's why uh, we ultimately went with him. And I have to say I was very more than satisfied with his performance in Call of the Void. So.
0: Um, I, I think saying you're more than satisfied is a bit of an understatement. I
2: agree. I'm try- I am I, I said in, a, in another interview that I did with uh, Greer on Greer RC, I said that I personally feel – I don't know if Mojan feels this way. I know he's a tough critic of his own work as I am of my own. Um, I felt that his performance was Oscar-worthy and that might be – some people might call that an overstatement. But for me personally, that's what I feel about his performance. Yeah,
0: no. I don't think that's an overstatement. Anybody that sees this film, I don't think that's an overstatement at all. So you did set the bar high for yourself. Yeah, now you, you did. Have, And you have nowhere to go but down now. <laughs>
1: Oh, we'll see. That's a
0: challenge. (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, truly. And as I said to you, you know, to the guys earlier, I mean, you do. You you look like Michael Pitt in many respects in this film Mm. with some of the transformation that he does in his roles because you make great use of your facial expressiveness. Oh, thank you. And I think a lot of that is also due in part to your choices in lensing this black and white, Minimal lighting, focusing only on certain parts of the body yep. and certain areas in a room.
2: Oh, definitely. I mean, it was, it was a choice that I made before production, before cameras rolled. I spent about three and a half months just designing my shot list. I don't know if you guys ever saw my book on set. I had a binder that was easily three, three inches thick, and it had every layout, every camera placement, Put there but then when when the reality of shooting four days came into play i had to slash shots combine shots and create new shots on the fly Mm -hmm. and i remember i spent hours before when they were still building sets i was just like going through that booklet and seeing what could i do and then we brought on two additional cameras just to get additional coverage otherwise it was not going to be possible to shoot in four days you know
0: how many cameras did you end up shooting with three Okay
2: yeah, so we shot with three cameras, um, and that was just because it, it, just the amount of coverage we, we needed would just not have been possible. It's basic mathematics, and you know we weren't going to be able to do it, but you know because I had one covering the the main camera that we had I mean that was you know the black magic, and we focused on that, and that's where like when we shot his the scene that you talk about with a lot of negative space mm-hmm. we um that was you know a camera, it was always the A camera, you know. Um, and that 's the one I went for always with getting my most important shots
0: mm. and I have to say for all of you filmmakers out there listening, and I know many of you do listen, David Spaltrow being one of them you 're working on a new film, I expect to hear from you <laughs> um, you know when you hear the, when you hear other directors talk about negative space and making use of these things, as Justin and I were talking about earlier, so many directors forget about that, especially when you 're getting when you want a moody, emotional, ambient piece, like a noir film. And it, it, kudos to you and your cinematographer, Peter Borosh, mm-hmm. for the whole visual design with the negative space. You know, as, as I had said, I mean, this is very Fritz Lang, you know, very Hitchcockian, but there, there is so much, you know, implemented here from classic noir cinema. And you really do bring it, you know, showcase it in its best light.
2: Oh, yeah. You know, it's funny. You know, a lot of uh, the choices that I went with, with the camera choices, a lot of them, people will come to me and and say, you know, this reminds me of that. And did you get this from this film? This and that. And I take it as quite a compliment because a lot of the shots I came up with on my own, just in my own mind. I didn't really reference somebody, at least, you know, consciously. Maybe Mm -hmm. it was subconscious. But consciously, I didn't. Say, you know, I looked at this film and I want a shot just like that, you know, kind of just uh, it's, it's the way my mind works. You know, mm. I, it, camera angles was the one thing from the very beginning of my film career that came natural to me. I never really had to work hard at figuring out the camera. The one thing I had to work hard on was an area that I wa- I didn't always feel too comfortable was, with, which was uh, screenwriting. Hmm. Writing in general, and then also learning to work with actors, and you know, it's I I I almost call it an obsession. I'm almost obsessed with learning how to communicate with actors and get the best performance. So, I'm, in
0: in other words, you're Steve. I'm yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> obsessed. <laughs> He's obsessed.
2: Yes, I'm obsessed with learning the craft, so that way I can. I, I want the best for any work that I produce, and you know, it's I, I think like Mojan, we both. Uh, you know, have a, hold a very high standard.
0: JT doesn't.
2: No, he does too. <laughs> but, uh, you know, JT I've, holds I've, a much I've, lower standard, but he's very giving in that way. <laughs> I've, you know what it is? is I've spent a, I've spent a lot, a lot, a lot more time with Mojan Jean um, off camera, and I've gotten to know him personally a lot more. And so I know how critical he is of his own work, um, and I think that's a it's, it's a good quality. I, ha- I have the same quality as well, but it's not. But it also has its downsides too. Sometimes you can you can't even see if your work is actually has any kind of merit sometimes.
0: And that kind of sucks too, mm. you know? <laughs> so in other words, you can't see the forest for the trees.
2: Yeah, exactly. When it comes to judging your own work.
0: Or the sprockets for the cell. Yeah, I was you like, like yeah, I,
2: for all I know, it's like I'll look at my work and I'm like, Man, this this sucks. I hate it. It's the worst piece of work I've ever done. You know? And other people will look at it and be like, This is amazing, this is beautiful, like yeah. I want to see more, you know? So
0: so now what do you guys, since he does obsess about working with actors and relating to actors, let me ask each of you, because you've worked with a myriad of, of directors already. Maybe, I'm looking at, at JT, and it's like, okay, maybe you have. I know one you have. But, you know, what, how is he working with actors? Does he really understand the actor's process of embodying a role and bringing it to life? For
3: it. It. absolutely um, there's there certain questions there's certain questions that I asked him that we ultimately knew both the answers to but I would want to make sure that he was on the same page to where I thought that it was going um, yeah I think he understands actors and I think he's growing and I think he's learning more and that's just going to improve um, mm-hmm. so kudos for you to learning like the actor process and you know w- w- what we think. You know, it, it's, it's, a, it's a tricky thing, but this guy pulls it off, and he's, he's pretty epic.
0: And what do you think, Mojan? Um,
1: personally, like, I love being directed, and I love working with different styles of directors. Uh, and I'm often asked how I like to be directed, and I don't, I don't have an answer for that. I, 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 I just, I like kind of falling into their work and collaborating. What I love about Dustin is that he's extremely positive. You know, he mm-hmm. has a great energy. Um, as you can see right now, he's actually just a good person, Oh know? yeah, which is important, you know, cause you know, it's nice when you're working with someone who loves what they do and really cares about them. He invested a lot in this film, um, which makes me care because he has an emotional investment in the film, not just a, mm. you know, a money investment or some kind of favor he's doing for some producer or something like that. He, he really cares and he's going to pay a price and therefore... Makes me feel better about the price I'm gonna pay, mm-hmm. um, and he's honest, you know, which is good. He doesn't lie. He doesn't try to manipulate me. Uh, he does come and he's like, "No, Majan, like this is the day we have, and like this is what we uh, like." He's not like trying to, you know, side side me and trick me. And yeah, I appreciate it a lot.
0: But did the checks clear the bank? <laughs> the, the checks,
1: bank, the checks I mean, to the got bank. To I don't know. The checks cleared the bank. Yeah. They it. Uh, I know, I I know my team gave a
0: little bit of a hard time, but I think the checks cleared the bank. <laughs> I
3: think it, mine
1: did too.
0: <laughs> see, On time. See, look at that. You're ahead of the game. Yeah, there we go. Well done. You're, you're ahead of the game with that yep. one. So now where does a story like this come from? And obviously, just in us talking earlier, you do have a great wealth of knowledge into film history, as do you as as well, Mojan. You, I'm not too sure about JT. You know, we're working on that. <laughs> we're enlightening you. I got a late start. You guys,
1: don't bully him. play right? off!
3: We're just picking on JT today. He's yeah. getting picked
0: on. I just think he's adorable. He
3: adorable. Thank you. Sweetheart.
0: I, I think he, I, I do. I think he's a sweetheart. I think he's adorable. And I loved him in Actor for Hire.
3: So. I appreciate that.
0: You were very funny. Thank you. Which is why I, I just appreciate your p- performance so much more in this film.
1: The title of that movie sounds like the title of my life. <laughs> Actually,
3: I, Mine fire. too, buddy.
0: <laughs> but as long as a check clears the bank, that's what matters, guys. You know.
3: I was a little skeptical in promoting that film because I didn't want to seem like I was desperate. Like, look at me. I need a job. So I, you don't know, you know what I'm saying? But which it was, is what
0: that whole film is. I know, I know. Yeah. But so now, where do you get a young a youngster like you get the impetus to come up with a film rooted in noir, with so many touchstone visual touchstones and emotional touchstones? to guys like Litvak, like like Lang, like Hitch.
2: Well, uh, okay. You know, I'll talk about like the the aesthetic choice and and, and why I decided to go black and white um, and do a story that's set in the 1940s. Really, what it was is I started watching a lot of Hitchcock's films, Orson Welles, Michael Curtis, um, Frank Capra. I started watching these guys' films, and it kind of made me depressed because <laughs> I would finish watching these movies and I'd be like, "Man, these are so good." <laughs> They're so good. I said, we're making crap today compared to what they're making back then. And it it depressed me in a good way. So it kind of motivated me. I said, I want to kind of pay homage to these great directors of the golden age of cinema. I mean, what it was is these guys focused on story, storytelling. That was at the heart of what they did. It wasn't just about what you see today with like the big blockbusters that are so CGI heavy that it looks fake. And it's like it's all about the spectacle now. I'm not saying there's not good films today. There are plenty of great films today. Mm-hmm. But I feel like there, there are far and few between – You know, there, there, there's not as many as yeah. there was that, And that's what kind of motivated me. I said I want to do something. I want to remind people of that era. Um, I'm not claiming to be a Hitchcock or Orson Welles. I just wanted to remind people um, and I wanted to do it justice. I wanted everything to be authentic, everything from the sound to the camera to the acting. I just wanted it to be real and – the story itself kind of just came about. I said, "What is something that most people can relate to uh, in life?" And, I, and what occurred to me was relationships. Everybody has relationships to a degree, um, whether they be you know romantic relationships, friendships, uh, business relationships. Everybody has them, and you can even have relationships not with people, uh, attachments, you know, obsessions. And so, I wanted to kind of explore what it meant to have these relationships. And when life kind of takes a turn that you don't expect, um, how do you detach yourself from these things that you've held so closely to you? Uh, And I think that's one of the hardest things as a human being is to, when you have something that you love and care about, and when things don't go your way that you have to kind of detach yourself, that's the most difficult, it's painful it's very painful. And I want to explore that human reality. I thought a lot of people would relate to it. So that's kind of um, how the whole idea came about.
0: Mm. And then your whole visual palette. I mean, that, is, that really is absolutely stunning. Thank the you. visual grammar and the overall tonal, visual tonal bandwidth is just beautiful. Thank you. How did you and Peter develop and design the look and particularly the lighting? And the extreme close-ups, you know, minimalist Mm -hmm. that you implement because that adds another whole layer to the story.
2: Sure. Uh, Me and Peter, we met, you know, months before uh, filming began and we went over um, different ideas on how we wanted to shoot it and how we wanted to light it. We even at one one point contemplated going with a a 4-3 aspect ratio to really kind of go back to that era. And we toyed around with it and then we said, you know what? It was it was really important to me to I wanted to play with negative space and so it was important so I needed that wider film uh, plane to, mm-hmm. to do that so that's ultimately the reason why we went that route but um you know one thing we said to say okay we got to get this thing to a true black and white and Peter you know he's he's very talented I give him a lot of credit um, I worked with him on, on my second short film Valediction right. and uh, you know we, we met that way and you know he's part of the Australian um, Society of C- Cinematographers. And, uh, you know, it it was basically, you know, like, Peter, how are we going to do this? We decided on using a monitor um, called Small HD and we pre-color graded a black and white LUT and loaded it on there. So he was looking at a monitor that was showing black and white and so he was lighting the film as if we were shooting on black and white. And that helped us tremendously because we were able to see, you know, because, I mean, if you think about it, you know, a lot of – when films were exclusively shot on film – uh, they didn't have the luxury of looking at a monitor. Right. You know, uh, it was really just what the DP saw. And then you'd go and you'd crank out those dailies, and sometimes the director would look at him and say, What the hell did you do? That was horrible. <laughs> you know? Um, but, you know, Peter is just one thing that me and uh, our producer Lamar always agreed on is that he's fantastic when it comes to lighting. The guy knows his lighting. And, uh, I would just simply tell him, like, what my vision was, where I wanted the light to come from, what I was trying to go for, how dark I wanted the scene to look. And, you know, he would just bring it to life just based on simple direction. I told him I want this film to have deep, dark shadows. I want to see silhouettes at times. Uh, I want to see just high contrast, you know. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want it to look, you know, too – overdone overblown you know like i feel like for example like sin city i feel like the 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 black and white i mean it's very stylistic i didn't want to look like a sin city yeah i mean that's
0: so polished and so every edge is rapier yeah but here you have that vintage softness exactly Mm -hmm. and
2: that's ultimately what we were going for
0: so you know i mean you really do in some scenes you have that very soft cheesecloth lighting effect the garbo effect Mm -hmm. yeah when they really did put cheesecloth over the lens to get that soft lighting oh yeah And it just, it makes you look so lovely. Just you. Just you.
3: (laughs) Just you. Well, because
0: because you have a much starker, you know, you're there more in the grayscales. You're really in in the grayscale range. That's one of the great things about black and white, where you've got black, white, you can create those sharp edges. But then when you get your levels of gray, Mm -hmm. that really adds a whole other tonal element to the to the film and the story as a whole, and that's exactly, you know, what Tommy does, you know, especially with the gun holster, very nice, mm-hmm. nice.
2: You remember that gun holster? I
3: do, <laughs> I do. So, my I showed my brother that trailer uh, like three times, and he go, he never, he it didn't, he didn't see me. He's like, where are you? I go, that's me. <laughs> He's like, oh my gosh, you look completely different. I go, yeah. That's why I wanted to
2: do the role, <laughs> but he was he was shocked. He's like, "Wow, that looks really really cool." And well, I remember before you know we were talking about with both of them, um, you know. Uh, he, he, I remember JT specifically came to me. He's like, "So how do you want my hair, you know, cut? What kind?" Of-? He's like, "I'm getting haircuts, you know, so how should I get it cut?" And I just sent him a couple pictures. You know, I sent, I think I, was there, I sent him one of Cary Grant. Um, I sent him one of George Clooney. And, that's uh, like
0: sending him the same picture. Yeah, it is. It
2: is right. <laughs> but I, I, I was like, I want this kind of hair for your character. And he's like, Do I? Do you want? Do I have any facial hair? I was like, No, clean shaven. I was like, Because back then, yeah, there's no clean shaven. Hair. There is. That's the yeah. way it was. And that's why when you see the contrast of him with the beard, it says so much about where he's at in life at yeah. that particular moment.
0: And you don't know. Is he institutionalized when you <laughs> first meet him? Yeah. You really don't know. He mm-hmm. could be. He could be an Olivia de Havilland in a snake pit. I love that because we don't know, and then the nervous ticks that you throw in, and the constant movement of the hands, and the cigarette—you know—I
2: have some takes that didn't Uh make it into the film, unfortunately. But you know, he does some great, great things. It's like you almost wish, like a lot of the takes. It's a compliment to him. I wish I could use all of his takes (laughs) Uh, because he just does so many different, like the business he does, and you have to just kind of pick. Which one do I go with? Which which is the best one to go? You make it difficult in the cutting room to cut your scenes for that reason.
0: Oh, and I mean when you're scribbling on, on little pieces of paper and like tacking them on, and it's like scribble in the way you're like, and you know you keep writing and it's just hilarious.
1: Yeah, I think I was going through a prop phase then.
2: It's like which flavor? <laughs> <laughs> what
1: do I pay? I was going
0: what do
2: play with?
1: Faces you know, <laughs> <laughs> and all like different things. The motivated. intensity.
2: Did you know? You know uh, that he before production, I remember he was obsessed. You know, with finding the right kind of glasses for his character, and mm. glasses were not written in the script for his character to have, but he, for some reason he was obsessed yeah. with finding these these round spectacles, and he found them. And I remember he he you know he wore them you know b- weeks before, and I think he even wore some of the wardrobe too before just getting into character. And uh, he he went and attended AA meetings, you know, um, to just really kind of understand what that life is about. Um, and really understand the character more. So I applaud him for that.
1: that was the, the, interesting. Uh, the glasses were your choice? Yeah. yeah well yeah. done. It I was interesting know. attending AA meetings with that suit and those glasses. I thought I'd get something else out of it. But like, this is AA. Psych ward is that way. <laughs> oh God. Well, you know, I have
0: to say, the, the choice of the glasses, very European. Mm-hmm. You can hearken back to any of, you know, any film. Of the era, you know, set in Nazi Germany during the war. And that's what all the Europeans all had, the little round glasses. And you always get, you see guys wearing those and they're generally these short little mousy, nervous, fidgety fuss budgets. Mm -hmm. So it works so, so fabulously. So that was a very good call on your Well, if you
2: notice too, like, and I've heard this from a lot of people like that worked on the film, is nobody can pinpoint his accent. You can't pick out where he's from, Um, and it's a unique accent. And so, I and I and I felt like that brought another dimension to the character itself. You know, Um, because people want to know where's this guy from. I can't figure it out. It's not. It's not British. You know, it doesn't sound. uh, You know, like Turkish. You don't know what it is yeah <laughs> <You know?
1: laughs> I feel like this guy spent a lot of time by himself uh, really you know accent. out
0: of every out of every accent you come up with Turkish I don't know because I, mean, <laughs>
2: I remember I think he told me he spent some time in Turkey that's why right my
1: my uh, my family has like some heritage there and...
2: and that's why I thought of it immediately.
1: I feel like every time I meet someone though they're like have you changed your accent or something I feel like but it accent's... doesn't sound
2: Turkish you know?
1: <laughs> yeah. My accents all, always changing I guess
0: But see end but okay now. Now that you're hearing what he's saying and that your accent is an added bonus, the glasses were an added bonus, um, does he get additional riders on his pay?
2: Yeah, you know, you're going to have to talk to the producers on that.
0: <laughs> you know, he's bringing, call all Lamar. These, he's bringing all these new elements, you know.
2: Got to call Lamar on that one.
3: Yeah. <laughs> Let's I'll make the one. phone
2: call. Hey, Lamar.
0: <laughs> well, the thing is, I mean, if you get a distribution deal out of Newport. Mm-hmm. Now, have you had any bites yet? Have has anybody actually? Seen believe it? it or
2: not, we um, had a distributor contact us before, like a couple of weeks ago, um, wanting to uh, possibly, you know, rep the film. But we said this is the first bite we've gotten. We didn't want to just jump on the first yeah. train, and so we said, "Okay, this is our first run. This is our first world premiere. Critics are going to take a look at the film and review them." I was like, "Let's hold out. Let's let's look at our options." And so that's kind of what we did. So, yeah, it's believe it or not, we have had you know a bite from a distributor so far, but we're kind of just we, we want to see what what the field has in front of us.
0: I mean, I I see this. I mean, this would be a, a good fit for HBO.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It would. Because A twenty four gets very eclectic with their films, and I just love their choices. Even a Weinstein,
2: yeah, mm. they, they did the artist. Yeah, I I, I love the Weinsteins. So <laughs> I love you know. I mean, they're they're geniuses when it comes to picking great films. I mean, all the way back to when they had Miramax. You know, mm-hmm. um, Good Will Hunting is one of my favorite films. You know, uh, I, I mean, they just know. And and I remember reading something one time that said that. Uh, someone at miramax had tossed goodwill hunting in the bin i don't know who it was if it was an intern or a reader or development i don't remember that but somebody threw it in the bin and then somebody i think fished it out and put it on harvey weinstein's desk and said you have to read this is that right and he read it and then wow. that's how and you know actually uh ben affleck said that uh, mel gibson was actually supposed to direct they had they had pitched him to direct goodwill hunting before gus and uh but you know, because it was at the time that Braveheart had just won, you know, right. for Best Picture and Best Director, and
0: um, but at that time, I can't see. I don't think the film would have become what it became if it had been in Mel's hands. At I agree. That, at that point. I agree.
2: It's, it, he's a different director. Yeah. Uh, I, I think in a lot of ways he's a brilliant director, um, but it, it, stylistically, I just, I just don't know. <laughs> you know, I'm not mm-hmm. saying he can't pull it off, but I think Gus Van Sant did an, an amazing job with it, and uh, you know they're different directors, two different I mean, styles.
0: Gus did a much better job with that than he did of replicating psycho.
2: Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I agree. I
0: know. I see you grimacing. I did. Everybody grimaced at that one. Let's duplicate psycho shot for shot Shot for shot. Yeah. But in color. Yeah. No, that was, that I was- actually met Gus Van Sant one
2: time uh when I was premiering my second short film at uh, San Diego film festival. He was there. They were doing some kind of honorary thing for goodwill hunting and actually got to meet him, which was cool.
0: Oh, he is a lovely man. Oh, yeah. I always love interviewing him. He's just... Very
2: the, calm guy, very laid back.
0: Extremely so. Yeah. So now let me... So when he had to change everything on the day of shooting from his beautiful lookbook and shot book, was he calm or was he frazzled and frenetic?
1: I don't think I, I was...
3: Uh... Uh, I think both. <laughs> I think he was both. Oh, I th- I could see the the urgency in him, like, we got to get this. And him, like, not verbalizing, are you prepared? But I can see it. That's what he's asking me. I'm like, let's go. Let's do it. I'm ready. We're all ready. But, yeah. But as soon as he moved on from shots, it was a lot easier, I think. Knowing that him, myself, and Ashley were all prepared to move quickly Mm because I knew he wanted to move quickly.
2: Oh, yeah. there was yeah. a lot of pressure on me from the producers to make sure that we –
0: You have four whole days.
2: Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And I think um, day one was the most stressful because we had company moves. Um, we were shooting on location oh. in LA and that made it more difficult. Oh, that's right. When I got to day two, day three, day four, we were on a soundstage where we built the sets. I, I felt a little bit more calm when I uh, started spending a couple hours just before we even rolled cameras just – mixing things up and and seeing how i can use three cameras to get what i want ultimately i didn't get everything i wanted um and that's just that that just had to do with time but i think i got you know the essence of what i wanted the 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 important stuff that i wanted i did get you know Mm -hmm. so everything else was just icing on the cake
0: so (laughs) we're gonna take a short break ryan and we'll be right back Behind the Lens is sponsored in part by the Culver City Observer. Located in the heart of Screenland, Culver City Observer is available in print and online at www.culvercityobserver.com. And we are back. Hopefully I can make it through the next 14 minutes and not die this wave at the camera. Yes, let everybody see how wonderful you look.
1: We're back. We're back. <laughs> We're, back. We're, back. We're,
0: back. We're back. They're waving, you know. Yay. Yeah, so <laughs> I have to ask you guys, how how closely do you follow the industry as actors, as a director? Do you follow the trends? Do you follow what's happening? You know, one of the big controversies this week that impacts everybody, you guys as performers, you as a director, the whole AMC issue about allowing texting in movies. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I heard about that's that.
3: That's weird. When I heard that, I was just like, this is absurd. This is ridiculous. I can't read on. I, when I heard that, I'm like, I, "That's whoever allows this is just uh, it's not Wait good. a second.
0: That's actually real? They, they allowed that? The, no, no. Well, I, the president and the CEO of AMC... Issued an announcement earlier in the week saying, "Well, we're going to explore the idea of allowing texting in movies." The fact that it's up idea. for a
1: debate is is unbelievable. It's, that's just it's wrong.
2: insulting.
0: Yeah, and it's, and kidding? they tried to qualify, then back off and say, "Well, you know, not in all the theaters. We'll designate a theater. We'll designate a time."
2: No,
0: but the social media outrage. I would was, love if, if they it, did that. Actually, really, I, would love if
1: the, I, I think it would be great if there was a theater. I mean, could you imagine where, <laughs> like, there's a session, and all the people that want to text in the theater have to go to that movie session? I, I think that'd be a great idea because we could just, you know, lock the doors.
0: Well, off. that's the, <laughs> yeah. Honestly,
2: I wanted to see like, where he was going with this. Yeah,
1: <laughs> but it's also like, you know, if someone's texting, and you know, I'm often in a movie with someone's, you know, texting, and I have to be like, like, hey, yeah, like, you know what I, I mean? I get like, irritated. Like, <laughs> the the
0: light
3: really
1: yeah, just you know, it bothers you.
3: Yeah,
1: and
0: it's not you know. So you, as an actor, you wouldn't care if people were sitting there texting and not watching you on screen
1: um of course i would care i'm uh, that would uh, of course i care that that just that that kills my soul but (laughs) apart from i think people text in 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 film i mean i see people text in a theater i mean it's crazy uh i think that it's fine if they have a session for those people that just don't have the discipline to get away from their phones for two hours you know what I mean? And, and text. You know. A lot of people are in the industry as well. You know, sometimes you go to a screening at like a fancy agency and you'll see like all the agents there like texting while they're watching a movie. You
0: know. Well, I, I'm, gr- I'm really going to make your day and tell you how many press go to press screenings where they're supposed to be watching so they can review your film.
1: Yeah. And, and, they're,
0: and they're sitting there texting.
1: Yeah, it's
0: crazy. I have threatened to cut the hands off of people. One woman, she had actually had a laptop there mm-hmm. and I reached over and I slammed it down in her hand.
3: Good for you. Well done. It's true.
0: Because I just find that, especially when you're supposed to be looking at this, but you know what the, what's going to happen though, if anybody would allow an AMC issued a whole thing, okay, no, we're not going to do it because the CEO of, of draft house came out and said, absolutely not. And ArcLight was like, absolutely not. But if you let people into one screen, say you want to go to a movie, mm-hmm. the only one you can make, is that screening where they're going to have texting?
1: Oh, I would never go. Yeah.
0: But that's the only one that you can make it to.
1: That's just terrible. I mean, See? That, that sucks. But, I mean, I think, I don't know. I, I would like to be able to, if someone's texting in the movie theater, I would like to be like, hey, you're in the wrong movie. So, <laughs> yeah. Go
0: to the texting. You just, show. that's it.
2: <laughs> go to the texting hour show.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: But, I don't know. I think I, it's it's a problem. In society, in general, it that we can't not, get away from done. our phones. I mean, oh, come true. on! I mean, cell phones didn't always exist. You know, people used to actually have dinner with like with their families and not actually have to be texting or being on social, checking Instagram or Twitter or whatever. I mean, I feel like it's a problem. It's an addiction. It's almost it's it's like you know, like doing drugs. You know, what I mean, it's it, in some cases it can be worse because it's like you're you're not socializing anymore. You know, mm-hmm. and if anything, people are becoming more introverted uh, because I mean, you it's hard to socialize with a phone. Everybody's in their own little worlds, uh, and you know, a movie is it's something that's like it's, it's an escape. You know, these filmmakers took mm-hmm. time, took months, years putting something together, blood, sweat, and tears, and if you're basically it's, it's it's insulting. You know, when people just sit there and they text during a movie, I hate it. It's it's an I, hour yeah. and a half. If put, I was if I was like Spielberg away. or Cameron.
3: It's an hour and a half. I would say, Yeah.
2: I'm not, I'm not going to put my film in your guys' theater if that's what you guys are going to do, you know? I'd boycott them, you know? and I mean, it's, it's... There should be theater police. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, <laughs> you know, and technically, uh, you listen to Light, and they make the big announcement before screening, oh, we will be in the theater and we will be watching and if you have a problem or something... They're not. <laughs> and they're not. Nowhere near. They're not. And because there are people that continually... What, it's, it's like talking in the movies, but worse. It is, yeah. People,
1: like I said, I went to go see my, my friend in a play two days ago, and I was surrounded by three people on their phone, and I left it in a mission.
0: In, in the During film. the live performance? During the live
1: performance. My friend's doing a Tennessee Williams play, and they're like, and then I'll never forget there was a, a lady in front of me. She was filming the performance on her phone, and I, 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 I poke her. I'm like, hey. And she's like, What? <laughs> I'm like, like, what am I? Am I supposed to start lecturing her in the middle of this performance about her phone? Like, there's nothing I can do, you know? Like, how can you not get get it? You know? What like, I mean? you know, what I, mean? I
0: mean, she's like, what? And see, and that's the that's the other issue. When you've got a phone out,
3: mm-hmm.
0: piracy, yeah, filming mm-hmm. a live yeah. performance. That's S- especially
3: yeah. during a play. That, that's just that's, that's calling for.
0: Now, do you do you guys do theater work as well as I've done film theater. and TV?
3: I've done I did theater in, in high school. I did one play out here a couple of years back at the Hollywood Fight Club Theater. Um, but that that's basically it for me. I moved because I produce my own films. I raise money and put myself in it if it's right and makes sense. My older brother, we have a production company. Mm-hmm. That's what we do. So, and theater does a lot of time with the rehearsals yeah. and you know I also work too. So. I just don't have the time right now.
0: No, to really? Yeah.
3: I just, mm-hmm. I, it's amazing.
0: I know. So, I just, I just,
3: unfortunately,
1: I would love to do another play. I just don't have the time right now.
0: Mm-hmm. You know? And what about for you? Do you do theater?
1: Um, I'm, I'm a huge lover of theater. I mean, I read plays constantly, and I'm constantly keeping up with new playwrights and stuff. But um, I haven't done a – I did a play like early last year. And I don't do plays very often. Of course, I'm always looking for something special. And mm-hmm. I travel from New York, L.A., New York a bit. And I have a, some you know, some friends in the, in the theater world there and constantly look in. But my, I, I grew up watching films. Film raised me. And I, I, acting is acting. Though I, I'll do both. But right now, film is mm-hmm. where it is.
0: Yeah. yeah, and you successfully go between film and television. You know, you do a lot of one-offs on TV. hmm do you, do you have a preference? Do you like film? Do you like TV better?
3: I like it all. I have no preference. It's, I just like the art. I like the, the work. And I just want to do it for the rest of my life, to be quite honest with you. You know, I, I don't want to go too long unemployed. <laughs> I'll take whatever. Why I not? Mean, I like working with y- fresh faces and new actors and different parts, different roles, different areas of the country. Mm-hmm. The best you, job in the world.
0: Do you find it in do, for all of you, do you find it invigorating when you work with up and comers, brand new performers, directors, you're still kind of sort of new. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. But does that invigorate you when and especially cuz you've done a, a variety of things, you've done a variety of things? Does that encourage you I know some actors, they have trepidation if there's uh, you know, a new a new director coming on board? Mm. Unless you get guys like Martin Landau loves new directors. Susan Sarandon loves new directors. And they like it invigorates and they also step into kind of a if need be like a mentor, not even a mentor, but you know, gently mothering or, or, or fathering somebody to take the and move the next generation along. Do you guys like working with new talent and the same on the same hand? Working with older older talent, as you did here, with that lovely casting nod.
2: Yeah, well, speaking for myself, um, I, you know, it was a thrill to work with both of these guys, just because, I mean, they're both very, very talented. Um, you know, like I said, bring on. I, I'm I'm looking right now because, like you said, you know, I'm in I'm in the early stages of my career. I'm looking to build relationships and and, and strengthen the relationships I have with people that. I see something in and that I want to continue to work with, you know, time and time again. And, you know, you look at, for example, like Scorsese works with a lot of the same actors, Christopher Nolan, a lot of the same actors. And I think that's smart in a lot of ways. That doesn't mean I'm not going to look for new faces. I think I always want to kind of leave the door to casting and auditions open because I feel like, you know, otherwise I don't think you would have had, you know, the brilliant performances like you did in Amadeus Mm -hmm. had they not casted. Had they not searched for the person right for the role? I mean, there was a lot of people in the t- in the business at the time that a lot of actors, big name actors, that wanted the role of you know Salieri or Mozart. Um, but you know, Milos foreman was adamant about doing auditions and finding the person that was perfect for the role. And I think that should, al- as a director, you should always have that door open, as well as working with uh, you know people that you worked with in the past.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now, what about for you, Mo I mean I'm,
1: <clears throat> I'm always uh shocked when I work with someone who doesn't have a lot of experience on paper and then they're so talented both as an actor and as a director. I'm always kind of that always triggers something in me because I've been doing this my whole life and sometimes I'm like, "Oh, it doesn't really matter how much I've been doing this. It's all about starting fresh again and being in love with what you do." Um and so so that's always something interesting. I mean if, if people are invested in their work and obsessed with what they do and love what they do, then I'll, 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 it's a pleasure for me to work with them.
0: Mm.
1: That's what matters. Mm-hmm. And
0: what about you, JT? Because as a producer as well, you know, creating material. Uh,
3: I, I like the whole process. I, I, I rely heavily on our casting director because I don't have all the answers. I don't know who's like fresh on the scene, who's up and coming casting knows that and whatever they think or the, the writer director that we work with or hire feels that they're they have a certain person that they want to go after and the casting director agrees with our writer director mm-hmm. i'm all for that i don't care if they've never done a, a, a single credit of anything i'm open to any of that um with my other film 10 cent, you know 10 cent pistol we've our writer director michael c martin had a Vision on who we wanted for these parts, you know, with, with Joe Montaigne and, and Jenna Malone and Thomas and Nichols, and th- he he only saw those those actors in those roles, and but we auditioned other people just in case if we, we couldn't get these because right. we, we were offer only for all these guys, and ultimately they they we they accepted, so we had a we had a meet they had a meeting with us just to make sure that you know we were the real deal and we had money in the bank to pay them. <laughs> And uh, it's just, yeah, so but Fresh Faces, other projects that I'm working on, looking at new faces, um, people with credits, and uh, yeah, I, absolutely.
0: So, you know, as as you guys are now getting ready, counting down the days to the big premiere at Newport on the 24th, obviously, you're in, you, Majan, you're in pre-production on how many things right now? Two films. Only two. Films. Only two. Yeah, I mean, only two. Yeah. Only two. <laughs> <laughs> we're not going to ask JT. No. Uh, JT. JT. No. What do you? What, so, are you uh, getting um, ready for anything else now? Yep.
3: My brother and I, we developed a television series about the vacation timeshare company that we're trying to that we're packaging together, and we'll soon go pitch that to different networks. We have another film that we're working on called Hitman's Funeral. We're trying to get TJ T.J. Mancini wrote it but we're trying to get Vin Diesel on to EP it. Uh, so knock out wood, hopefully that goes. Um, and then other stuff, small stuff that I'm picking up here and there, mm-hmm. the television bits and, you know, one-offs and stuff like and- that. And... But-
0: are you just anxiously awaiting the 24th, or are you working on other things right no, now? No, I'm still
2: working on other stuff. I, otherwise, I think it'd go insane. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I have uh, I have a, a project that I've been working on for the past two years um, that's based on a true story that happened in 1917. I've um, been working on that for two years with my writing partner. I'll be in it. And then I've had a science fiction thriller, which I'm going to send to JT, I told them. Mojan's well, already read it. It's called Tumble, um, and that actually uh, was a, named a finalist at Nashville Film Festival in Scriptapalooza. Mm-hmm. was semi-finalists so that one um is one that i also want to kind of uh shop out there
0: well and that is i got the the little musical cue so that is all the time we have today guys i can't thank you enough for coming in today thank you for having thank you me. so much this is for so, so much fun. fun so everybody now needs to go to newport film festival the 24th
2: yep sunday april 24th at 2 in the 2:30. afternoon
0: and hurry up and get your tickets now online because they're going quick yep Thank you, guys. Thank
1: you. Big kisses.